for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. I'd like, before I get into this talk um, on 1 John chapter 4, we continue in our series on that. I'd like to read a prayer from Ephesians. I felt when I was praying this morning that it's important uh, um, I read this over us. And uh, so it's going to be one, if, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Because this, this is my heart for you and for this church. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, Gateway Church, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power, dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head of all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. You see, Jesus is not just another great teacher. He's not just another great prophet. He's far more than that. You need to know that. There's no other name in heaven or on earth through which men may be saved. He stands alone. God's not got a plan B. Another saviour somewhere else on another planet. God sent his only beloved son into all the world. That whoever believes in him, in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, last week, just for newcomers, we do welcome you. Um, in the name of Jesus, we're going through a series um, at the moment, a short series on the, the first epistle of the Apostle John. And we're now in chapter 4. I think I've got the short straw. Barney said last week he had the short straw. It's not, it's not easy preaching from this. And that's why we preach through scriptures, because you don't cherry pick. You, you have to preach the full counsel of God. You don't skip a bit, because, oh, that's too hard, because it means you've just got to dig a bit more. And uh, that's one of the great things we, we love about um, the churches, the family of churches we're in. We believe preaching through scripture. But last week, Barney reminded us to live lives through grace-empowered discipline. And when we are truly born again by the Holy Spirit, we are given a new nature, and our new identity is that we are now saints, hardwired to be slaves of righteousness because of our identity in Christ. Our new default is not now our new default is now wanting to live for him, not wanting to live for sin. 
The door hinges have been put on a different way of your life. Have you ever been to a house or a, a shop where it normally says pull and you go there and you pull, then they change it to push? It takes a bit to get used to it because it's new now, isn't it? So you have to retrain your mind to know, know that you now push and not pull. And that's what it can be like when you first become a Christian. The hinges now are on the other way. The hinges are on the other way. And your new default is, as a son and daughter of God, your default is towards righteousness, not sin. And as John says in his epistle, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Sorry, good to see you. Lovely to see you here. (laughs) Well, great. Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, in in, in Paul's letter to Titus, in chapter 2, 11 to 12, just to underline last week's talk and make a connection point, um, Paul writes this, For the grace of God has appeared, past tense, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. And and John was countering uh, uh, doctrines and and a way of behaving that were coming into the church there that as long as you believe you can do anything you like, that that your belief doesn't affect your behaviour. It does. Because we're talking about the belief releases you to become a child and a, um, a child of God, where your default is towards righteousness, not sin consciousness. So we have a grace consciousness, not a sin consciousness, but we're saved for holiness. So we now turn to John, um, one John chapter four, verses one to six, and where John was focusing on equipping the church to be mature in their discernment of false prophetic teaching that had been poisoning the the life of the church and the potency of the gospel message. So I'll read it. If we should have the slides. I'm sorry um, the the word is a bit small, but let's go for it. So he, he continues, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. So, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, say, in the flesh, flesh. thank you, it's going to be important for you, is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognise the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now John, I want to say this at the outset because this is really important. John is not belittling the gift of the prophetic. 
we in this church have, a, have an incredibly high value on the prophetic. We, we exist here because of the prophetic word. So, but, so he's not saying that. So please, get that into your mind straight away. He seeks to protect the genuine by drawing attention to the spurious false prophets, prophetic teaching under the guise of superior revelation over and above the revealed truth of the gospel handed down from Jesus and the first eyewitness apostles. He got that. There was something else happening at the end of the first century. Now, this shouldn't have um, surprised him because Jesus himself warned that many false prophets, to quote Matthew 24, 24, that many false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And that's going to be the challenge in these days because there will be false prophets emerging who will do signs and wonders. Do not, do not be taken in just by signs and wonders. You need to look at the doctrine and the life of the person. Because Jesus warns you. It's not me warning you as an insecure pastor. I'm warning you because Jesus said that. Now, we believe in signs and wonders and healing and miracles, don't we? Hallelujah. We want more of it and we're getting more of it. But we have to be careful because you are in the internet age, you're in the, you're in the TV age where you can get so much coming in that you can be taken in by the impressive. You know, Jesus wasn't very impressive. That's what they said. I mean, when they said well, he wasn't particularly impressive to look at. But when they looked at his life, that's what, that's what John wrote at the beginning of 1 John. He said, we, we beheld his glory. We, we, we touched his life. We observed him. He's a real deal. He's a real deal. There's no one like Jesus. So these people John was referring to were clearly unsettling the saints, or had been unsettling the saints, by their prophesying half-truths, untruths, and not rooted in gospel truth. Earlier on in his letter to them, he wrote in chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they all are not of us. That's quite a statement. But he had observed something about these false teachers that they, while they were here, they weren't a part of us. We bought um, a peach tree um, one of those patio um, things, you know, little trees, so, you, in the, in the, so we can get peaches, our own peaches. And we're excited by this, and we've got it in, in, in the pot for a start, and uh, it already it wanted to go beyond the pot. Well, I wanted to go beyond the pot. I wanted to train it, aspellier it, and we put it into the, the soil underneath our grapevine. And um, had this strong shoot come up. I thought, it's doing really well now. It's, this, this one shoot has grown quicker than all the rest. Then I began to worry, I thought, is it a sucker or not a sucker? So we googled peach tree suckers and there it was, it was clear that it was a sucker. And I had to cut this off, but it looked like it was a part of the peach tree, but it wasn't really. It was sucking all the life out of the peach tree and it's almost saying, look at me, I'm growing quicker than the rest of you. Yeah, but it, and it had to be taken out because there'd be no fruit from it. And now that sucker has gone and our little peach tree, do pray for it, um, 
uh, it's doing well, it looks healthier, and uh, I'm sure it spoke to me, but no, I'm not going to be a Prince Charles. It's, um, it's, looking, it's looking better. And so there's a, a question here that um, I've been asking myself as I studied this chapter. Did the false prophets start out false, or did they lose their moorings? And it doesn't answer that question. But I think we have to be alert to the fact that they might have always been dodgy, but not necessarily so. Well, Graham, why do you say that? Well, if you, if you look at Acts, were to look at Acts chapter 20, do make a note of it, um, where, where the, the Apostle Paul is, is leaving Ephesus for the last time. He's planted a church there. And uh, actually, the beach where he, he, he gathered the elders from the church is there. It's just down from Ephesus. But he, he's giving them a final farewell. And he's warning them of the danger of doctri- doctrinal drift that it can exist in spiritful churches. So he goes on to, uh, to say this in verse 28. The, the Dr. Luke was recording this. In the, he is the one that wrote the Gospel of Luke. He also wrote on behalf of the Apostles, uh, the Acts of the Apostles. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, elders are overseers. They see over. They see the bigger picture. Okay? To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So there'll be some coming in, there'll be some rising up. We need to be alert, elders. That's what Paul was saying. Therefore, be alert. Remember, remembering that for, for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to, to, God, to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And the Apostle Paul also wrote to the church at Ephesus, which is near modern-day Turkey, in modern-day Turkey, in 1 Timothy 4.1, he said, Now the Spirit expressly says, wow, that's an unusual phrase for Paul, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter days, latter times, that some will depart from the faith, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Wow. Wow, you need to hear that. Because the Holy Spirit was expressing this say that in the last, last days, some will depart from the faith because of teaching doctrine of demons. Coming in. We do have an enemy, and we praise God that Jesus has defeated him on the cross but until he's finally cast into hell for that last time and the lid goes over it, he's seeking to deceive and distort and destroy God's glorious church and his purposes. And he goes further. Keep a close watch, Timothy, on your life and on your doctrine. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And in a way, I think that's relevant to all of us, isn't it? Because we are ambassadors for Christ. So we all have that privilege of being invited to 
watch over our lives. You know, you can't be a leader if you don't lead yourself well. The first leadership rule is lead yourself well. But also our doctrine. You know, where do you get your doctrine from? William Branham labelled one of God's generals in the healing ministry in the 1940s. He moved an incredible, genuine power of the Holy Spirit. Incredible power. Then two key, th- key things happened. Firstly, his friend and fellow worker, Gordon Lindsay, who had helped Branham to maintain sound doctrinal emphasis in the healing meetings he did, there was a disagreement and they parted company. And Branham continued and uh, Gordon Lam- uh, Lindsay left. Now, Branham at that point became relationally isolated from people around him who had a greater grasp of doctrine than he did. Secondly, he began teaching doctrine from visions rather than from the word of God. So he began to have angelic visitations, he claimed, and he began to teach doctrine from that. And his fellow leader said, he's gone left. He's gone off. What he's teaching now is not good. It's not sound. Now, I'm not belittling, we honour that man of faith, but it's a salutary lesson. If somebody like that can go right turn or left turn and not maintain orthodoxy, do pray for us. Do pray for us as leaders. But also pray, Father, keep me in that good place of good doctrine, good truth, because doctrine is important. This was the same kind of Gnostic influence hitting the church back in John's time when John was writing about some of these people had this secret knowledge of um, superseding revealed truth. And Gnosticism is a philosophical and religious movement which started in pre-Christian times. The term is derived from the Greek word gnosis which means knowledge. Oh, I've got a secret knowledge. I've had a revelation yeah, but is it, is it consistent with Scripture? No, no, but I've had an angel appear to me. So it must be more authentic and have more authority than the written word of God. We'll come back to angels later. And we believe in angels, by the way. I've heard angels sing. I've seen angels but they only glorify Jesus and keep me on the right path. It's when so-called angels appear and they say things that are contrary to what the gospel is and reveal another doctrine. That's not an angel from God. So Gnostics claim to have this secret knowledge about God, humanity and the rest of the universe, which the general population were unaware. We have got this secret revelation. We're more special. We've we've seen it. And Paul's exhortation to Timothy was this, for the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Endure. (laughs) When people will not endure sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear.
eat your greens. Who remembers their mum and dad saying, you've got to eat, this may be an English thing, so forgive us people from other countries, um, but there, I see a hand there, I've, I've seen more hands now just saying that than I have in my entire ministry life, yeah, that's what they do, they say, eat your greens, you know, eat your greens, because they're good for you, and 30 years later when you're getting older, you think, I wish I'd listened to me mum, because we eat our greens, don't we, yeah, you end up, I've had Brussels, Brussels sprouts twice in 24 hours, Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. He's a good God. But how much doctrine have you fed on recently? How much doctrine? We have to keep... If we're going to build for the long journey, we're, we're in, you, know, you know what teenagers are like, don't you? Yeah? Well, we're a teenage church. Do you know that? We're 15 years old. We're, teen, we're a teenage church. That can be problematic but we'll get there, we'll be mature one day. <laughs> but we're, we're teenagers. Trouble is with teenagers, they think they know it all, don't they? It's only when they get to 2025, they realise just how wise you are. All, all of a sudden, you've discovered something that they've known all along. You know? We're a teenage church, and we need to make sure that we maintain our doctrine. Amen? And so Paul's exhortation to Timothy, men will not endure sound doctrine. So that's why we preach through the scriptures. Yeah, there'll be other things, other things we'll focus on, but we always make sure that you get a diet of good doctrinal greens. Good phrase. Okay. And any aspiring leader needs to protect their life and doctrine closely. He exhorted young Timothy this church leader, to, to study, to show himself approved by God. Well, I thought we were accepted, yeah, but by studying as a leader, you can show yourself approved to God. Okay. Then John writes a fascinating phrase about these false prophets. He said, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. I just think that's gripped me this week. And even when they were among the church, John clearly observed that they were they were their apparent spirituality, there was some kind of disconnect. They were keen to prophesy but not be part of church life. Well, why? Perhaps they thought themselves as more super spiritual. You know, super spiritual people, um, you know, they can, well, they can look down, they assess. Oh, yeah, what's going on in the meeting today? Yeah. Paul said, hold on, they weren't like the rest of us. They were, they were looking into... Administering into, but not a part of. People leave churches for many reasons, mainly for good reasons, as the Spirit calls on them. And as we, as leaders, we want to hold everyone here lightly. High esteem, but hold you lightly. We rejoice in seeing God sending people out from us because it's a demonstration that Jesus is the Lord of the church. And he sovereignly relocates the saints as he, thinks, as he sees fit. We went on a journey within the eldership over the last year because we said, Jesus, you build the church, we'll fulfill your quarter for us to bring in the kingdom. Bit of a difference, I tell you. It's a bit of a difference. And when we started praying that, things started to happen. That's one of the reasons I believe why we've got the Riverside and not another type of building because it's a kingdom building. 
not kingdom of Jehovah's Witnesses. It's not that. It's a, king, it's a building for the expansion of the kingdom of God, not to build a big church. Now, I believe there'll be great things ahead of us, but we'll get it by seeking first a kingdom, taking the kingdom out there, yeah? And we need to understand that. It's because we have made a transition. So if you just want a big church somewhere and, and a kingdom second, please go somewhere else. It will be more comfortable. But I'm de- we are determined to put the kingdom of God first. And his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us, what we need. Amen? But these people just went. They weren't sent. And it's a precious thing when people leave well, especially when the Holy Spirit leads. Yeah, there's many tears. We're going to miss Roy and Viv. We're going to sob our socks off. We've already done it. We know that God is calling you, and we will send you. Yeah, we're going to miss you guys. But we know the Holy Spirit has, has said, separate for me, Roy and Viv, for the work I've got for them. It's the same what happened in Acts 13, 1 to 3. One day at Antioch, they were, the leaders were worshipping God and they were fasting and as they waited for guidance, the Holy Spirit said, spoke, take Barnabas and Saul and commission them for the work I have called them to do. So they commissioned them in that circle of intensity and obedience of fasting and praying. Beautiful interpretation. They laid hands on them and sent them off. Because you've walked the walk. You've walked the walk. But Paul was... um, John was warning... But those, those false prophets who were teaching this stuff, they went, they weren't sent. And it's difficult sometimes to spot a false prophet. We, um, in a previous church, um, a leadership, I was a part of this leadership team in a previous church, and we started to receive brown envelopes sent to the leadership. Can I just say to you, if you want to write to us, never send a brown envelope. It will make us twitchy. <laughs> it's famous amongst church leaders. Did you get, have you ever had a brown envelope? Oh, yeah, we've had lots this year. <laughs> if you're going to say stuff, put, at least spend a bit of money on it, and a uh, white envelope would be nice. But this, this guy started sending us prophetic tomes. It was, at first, it was a page, and it's two pages, three pages, and there were prophetic insights concerning the church. It developed to raising concerns about us as elders, that we were not hearing God properly, and a pattern emerged when the prophetic words became more judgmental and negative. Um, those of you who know a little bit about the Old Testament, um, when the glory of God de- departed the temple, and where Ezekiel was prophesying into, um, it, the glory left the temple, and uh, um, Ezekiel um, said, Ichabod, which means the glory departed. Ichabod, glory's gone. And so this so-called prophet was saying, there's Ichabod over the church. Now, you want to take that seriously, you know? But then we thought, hold on, this is bringing us down, it's bringing judgment on us, we're, we're not that bad leaders. We're, we're loving God, doing our best. Um, we, we pray, we fast, we give, we love Jesus. And in the end, um, we found that he was just coming to meetings and downing us, but not being a part of life. And we began to look at his life. And we prayed, God, would you bring clarity here? And we found all the time he was prophesying to us, 
he was carrying on an immoral relationship. He was with another woman other than his wife. And what John is saying is, look at people's lives. <laughs> yeah? That's a safeguard for you. Look at their life. But these, these people, they weren't a part of, part of the church, but they were attending the church and prophesying into the church, and they then even leave because they're never really a part of. And we need to be aware, church, in these last days. We really do. Not live in fear, but be wisdom, be, um, be full of wisdom. And people can say the right words with the wrong spirit. Unforgiveness, hidden grudges, past being over, unresolved hurt. The words can be sound right, but the spirit can be embittered. And John is saying, test the spirits. Observe the spirits of what's coming out of a person because it's important, not just the words, but what's behind the words because that will help you and keep you safe. Do not be, he says, do not believe everything you hear, but rather test the spirits. And I think John here in this context, we're speaking not so much about a defilement of bitterness of spirit, which can defile many. If you've got a bitter spirit coming up, unforgiveness, it turns to a root of bitterness. It says it defiles many in Hebrews. And God keep us from that. But he was, he was addressing rather an even more malign danger of doctrinal divergence from the authentic gospel rooted and sourced in demonic activity. In 1 Timothy 4.1, it says, now the Spirit expressly says, as I said before, that in a latter time some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. These false prophets were undermining the fundamental gospel message. And so when I was preparing this, I thought to myself, well, what is the gospel? And straight away, John 3, 16. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. I quoted at the beginning, but I felt um, it would be good for me personally to write down in perhaps a couple of paragraphs what, what I believe the gospel to be. And it might be good for you to do that in your community groups, yeah? Or if you're in a traffic jam, yeah, you're parked up somewhere, get a pen out, turn the engine off and write, write okay, what, what do I believe the gospel to be? Now I'm going to write, read to you what I believe the gospel to be and you're going to check me for doctrinal error. I know you lot. <laughs> good, I hope you do. But this is what I, I, I read. The one and only creator God sent his beloved son to earth, taking on human flesh, his life and words revealed both the Father's love, purity and grace. This was totally demonstrated by Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross for our sin. He was raised from the dead by his heavenly father, destroying the devil's grip on people's lives through unresolved guilt and fear of death. In its place, God offers a fresh start, continuing into eternity through the repentance and the forgiveness of our sin, adoption of sons and daughters, and a new identity firmly rooted in his grace. And you've not said amen yet, and I'm getting worried. <laughs> this is personally received by faith in Jesus, expressed through heartfelt prayer of surrendering our lives over to his loving fathering. We can then know the enabling presence of the Holy Spirit to live a Christ-like life out of our new identity, doing good, healing the sick, and bringing the gospel of the kingdom to others. Praise God, you're alive. <laughs> but it, you know, it's, it's good to do that. I mean, I was reading, I thought, wow, did I write that? But it took me half an hour to really drill down and to get that right. Well, what were these people teaching? Well, let's read it again. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. 
This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Now in 1 John chapter 3, previous chapter, verse 8, Paul writes, um, sorry, John writes this. I do like Paul. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, can we say that together? Because that's a great confession. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And I know you believe it. So is, is it little wonder that Satan would seek to undermine the very thing through which Jesus came to destroy his works? That is, his physical appearing on earth, in flesh, and dying in flesh on the cross. Do you think it would be clever of Satan to try and undermine that gospel truth, which is reality that actually seeks to destroy Satan? Well, that's what this is about. This now, as it was then, is a fundamental fundamental doctrine of genuine Christian belief. Jesus' pre-existence with the Father came in human flesh, lived in human flesh, and died in the same human flesh, and was raised in newness of life with the resurrection body. That is a core gospel truth. Now, the reason why we're saying this is that it wasn't just then, you'll see it now, today, in global religions and cults, this false doctrine. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonists Um, Mormonism, Latter-day Saints, LSD, not LSD, LDS, (laughs) (laughs) cut, are recognised as cults because they deny, deny in one way or another, that Jesus was pre-existent, God's only son, sent into the world, and he actually became flesh, and he died in the flesh, there wasn't a substitution at the end by a spirit and he rose from the grave. (coughs) Now it's interesting, just as an aside at this point, um, that Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, was a Mason, Freemason, all his life. And Charles Taze Russell had a great affiliation at least with with, um, Freemasons. Now, Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon church, claimed that Jesus, here we go, was the first offspring from a heavenly father and a heavenly mother. So God was flesh and bone, and he came down, yep, to earth, and you know what. However, the New Testament teaches that Jesus, God the Son is eternal and has no beginning. Colossians 1.17 says this, he is, Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. Christ as the eternal Son, the eternal Son of God, existed before all creation. Since Christ is before all things, he did not depend on anyone or anything for his creation or existence. In John chapter 8, 58, Jesus tells the religious leaders, before Abraham was... I am. He's pre-existent. Always as God's son. Jesus is identifying himself as the eternal God, quoting words from Exodus 4, 3.14. Then the Mormon teaching on the deity of Christ is this. 
Christ, the, this is the Mormon teaching, Christ the firstborn was the mightiest of all the spirit children of the Father. Mormon theologian Bruce McConkie states, the appointment of Jesus to be a saviour of the worlds, worlds, not world, worlds, was contested by one of the other sons of God. He was called Lucifer, son of the morning, haughty, ambitious, and covetous of power and glory, the spirit brother of Jesus. Right? The spirit brother of Jesus tried to become the saviour of mankind. So Mormonism would say that Jesus and Satan were brothers. Who didn't know that? Can you put your hand up? That's all right, put your hand up. This is why we preach through the scriptures. The Bible teaches that Jesus is not the spirit brother of Lucifer or of human beings. Lucifer is an angel and a part of the created order. Ezekiel 28, 13 to 19 reveals that Lucifer, in contrast to Jesus, is a created cherub angel. And Colossians 1, 16 tells us that Christ is the creator of all things, including the angelic realm. Now, where did Joseph Smith... Joseph Smith get his revelation from? Does anybody know? An angel. Do you know what this angel's name was? Moroni. <laughs> now, um, I say, I, um, no further comment. There's an angel Moroni appeared apparently to Joseph Smith and gave him a revelation for the Book of Mormon. Paul warned about the doctrine of demons. In Galatians 1, verses 8 to 9, he says, Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So be alert. There's world religions out there that start, start with a so-called revelation of an angelic messenger to give them a revelation of another book and they're claiming superiority over Jesus. Jesus is not just another prophet. That is false. It's falsehood. And the doctrine that comes from it is a doctrine of demons. Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach another gospel unto you than that which we have preached, let him be accursed. Other Mormon doctrines. God used to be a man on another planet. Mormon doctrine, page 321. Another one is God God resides near a star called Kolob. Just don't go there. This is some of the deeper truths or revelations Gnostic revelations. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, he founded a Freemason's Lodge in Nauvoo, Illinois, March 1842. And soon after joining Freemasonry, Smith introduced a temple endowment ceremony, including a number of symbolic elements that were very similar to those in Freemasonry. And those of you that know anything about uh, Mormonism, you don't get it all at the front door. They tell you more and more as you get in. Smith remained a Freemason until his death. And I finally want to turn our attention to Freemasonry. Freemasonry teaches that Jesus was just a man. 
He was one of the great men of the past, they say, but not divine, and certainly not the only means of redemption of lost mankind. Now, I met a guy in the last two weeks, and uh, I discovered he's, he's, he's a lovely guy, um, and he said, I've, um, I've, I'm a mason. I've been invited along, and I was very pleased to be invited along, and... Um, and I said, well, do you know what god they worship? And he said, no. I said, well, Jubilon, it's a, compos- it's a composition of different gods. He said, well, no, I don't. no, that's not true. He said, they do a lot of good, they give loads of money away, and um, it, there's a lot of friendship there. A good guy, a nice guy, but been drawn into something that he had no clue about the deeper secrets of, going to the grandmaster stuff. And it's only when you get to the very top, you're told what they really believe. Very Gnostic, you see. That's what John, why John is writing, saying, look, that which we have seen and heard, we've touched, we've lived, we've observed, is the real deal. So for many Masons, they would be unaware of its hidden doctrine, only knows, known to those who progress to the highest level and degrees of the order. Albert Pike one of the most influential American Freemasons in history, was elected Sovereign Grand Commander of the Southern Jurisdiction of the Scottish Rite in 1859. He remained Sovereign Grand Commander for the remainder of his life, a total of 32 years, and he devoted a large amount of his time to develop the rituals of the order which Masons will use today. Pike was not only one of the most transformative Masons in the history of the United States, he was was also one of the most foremost influential American occultists in the 19th century. You need to know. Because it can affect the church. Today, upon entry, an apprentice, they're called apprentices, are obligated to take a blood-curdling oath. It is also interesting to note that the symbolism in Masonic ceremonies is almost identical to witchcraft ceremonies, including the initiation ceremony, in which the initiate must be recommended by a current member. He is stripped and blindfolded in a a noose around his neck. In both ceremonies, a knife or a sword is put against the breast and a blood oath is made never to tell the secrets of a lodge or the coven. And when Freemasons take their initial vows, they speak several curses over their chest and stomach areas. And I've seen people who've been freed from, um, by renouncing um, any past involvement in masonry, um, clutching their stomachs and being free as this, these curses come off. And if they, they declare that if they violate their, violate their vows, health issues may happen to those parts of their body. It's a fact that these curses can and do cause problems for their descendants. I've seen it. Many released from this testify for freedom from mental turmoil, suicidal thoughts, pervading fear of death. And it may be today that there's... Maybe one, two, twenty, thirty. I would not be surprised that you may have descendants who are very involved or are very involved in Freemasonry. We want to see those curses cut off in the power of Jesus' name. Really do. Because Freemasonry is not of God. 
not only not as of God, it has occultic roots. This is heavy stuff. But Jesus died a heavy death to break the power of the evil one. Just because an angel appears, it doesn't mean that it's truth. It doesn't mean that. And I'll say this before I ask people to stand. We are, I believe we are seeing a resurgence of cults because they are now getting um, a lot of market research help and they are promoting the, the, what they believe. That, that They are dialing down those areas that I've been talking about this morning and promoting themselves as bona fide Christian organisations. Be aware. Be aware. Because that's... We, we don't go after that hidden stuff. We go after Jesus who said, look at me. Come and see where I live. Observe my life. And Jesus died. He came in the flesh. He lived in the flesh. He died on the flesh. There was nobody else substituted for him on Calvary. He died for your sin, your freedom. Now, I'm going to ask you, we don't need musicians for this, but if you have had any, any relatives that are involved in Freemasonry and you would like prayer for it, would you now stand? Because we want to see any roots cut off from this. Thank you. This is good. This is, this, this is before we go over into the, our new destiny as a church. Thank you. These are precious people. Can you just reach out your hands and bless them? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a prayer. It's up on the wall. Um, dear brothers and sisters, I'll pray it but would you join me, please, in, in, um, in this prayer? Because we're going to see greater freedom. Here we go. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only Son, into the world to take upon human flesh. I thank you that he died on the cross, his blood shed cleanses me from sin. Please release me from any effects of curses taken by relatives who were involved in Freemasonry. I renounce them fully now in Jesus' name. Please fill me afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bonnie, could we ask the musician to come? Let us all stand and declare truth over the enemy's life that Jesus has got the victory you are free stronger is he that is in you than he that is in the world Satan has no legal claim on you the cross is enough he's done it all he's risen victorious we are free to worship and serve him without fear or hindrance in Jesus' name Amen Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me.